Well, welcome to the Encephalitis podcast. Today, I'm joined by the very lovely Philippa Chapman. Now, many of you who are familiar with the Encephalitis Society will need no introduction to Philippa, but in the interests of being a good podcast host, I will run through her CV uh, very briefly with you. Philippa has been my right hand for nearly 10 years. It's going to be 10 years in June. We hired her as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed operations manager in 2012. And as the Encephalitis Society has grown, so has Philippa's importance to the organisation. She's held a variety of roles in the charity, operations manager, director of operations, director of services, was acting chief executive during my three-month sabbatical. And now, after taking some time out to become a mum, she is our deputy chief executive. A very welcome move for everyone involved at the Encephalitis Society. So welcome, Philippa. Hello, thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs> so welcome. Well, look, 10 years, 10 years in June. I can't believe it since you joined the Encephalitis Society. Time flies. How have those 10 years been for you? I mean, amazing, really, when you think about it. I mean, I can't believe it's been 10 years. It feels like, you know, how have we got to 10 years? Um, and I was thinking back, I was like, my goodness, I've really grown up with the society it's you know I was I was well, 10 years younger and and just kind of one of my first kind of big roles I'd been living down south and I moved back up to Moulton which is my hometown kind of reassessing what I wanted to do with my life and very much knew I wanted to work in the third sector or for a charity but just didn't know where to start with that had no um kind of particular connection with any kind of I just knew I wanted to make a difference and not just work to make somebody else rich uh, which is kind of what I'd been doing before and it just didn't fulfill me personally um so I very much wanted to find something and then the maternity leave came up covering Alina our wonderful Alina who um is now our director of services um but she was the operations manager back then and uh, took maternity to leave and the opportunity jumped jumped up and I took the opportunity to um to interview and, and thankfully got the role in the end um <laughs> so yeah um and then I tried to make myself indispensable so that you know you couldn't get rid of me quite basically and here I am 10 years later <laughs> well I think quite frankly uh, you've probably done that um those of you that are listening you can probably all guess from her comment that there was a story behind her getting the role <laughs> eventually not one we'll go into on this podcast but anyway for those of you that we see in person over a glass of wine do remind us we'll have to tell you um the difference between the encephalitis society then and now is like night and day uh, in my opinion at least I think we've achieved so much over the last 10 years how is the organization that you joined in 2012 different to the one that you think we have today I mean it's completely different in some senses but then the core of it is exactly the same it's in our vision to help people and to make the world aware of encephalitis and you know make it matter that's the same that's always been there and that was apparent when I started 10 years ago and I know it was apparent before you know the the 10 years that the charity was going on more that before I joined so I think that kind of stick of rock element is always there and I think that's why we're so good at what we do if I can say that in a kind of in the humblest of ways you know why we have made such a big difference is because that's there but in terms of how the charity was 10 years ago I was I think I was 
there was only like two full-time, two 37-hour members of the team. I think there was then maybe six other, you know, less than 37-hour people. So it was so much smaller in terms of the team. We were about 300K income turnover around that, you know, and we're nearly a million pounds now, and we've been over a million pounds, you know, and we're a team of, I've lost count, I think, we're 14, 15 now, which is incredible. And we're doing so much more global things like World Encephalitis Day, um, massive campaign that we do that's that global element. We're, we're doing support around the world. We're doing events around the world. We're delivering more to more people. I mean, it is completely different. and But it's all with that same essence going through, which I think is a really we should be really proud of that because, it, it, you know, we're not we're not misled in what our core being is in this charity. And I think that's why people get so passionate about what we do, me included. <laughs> It oozes out of you, I think, in the same way that people feel uh, it used to ooze out of me. Well, still does ooze out of me. What am I saying? But um, <laughs> have there been any particular highlights for you over those last 10 years? Oh, yes, lots. I think some from, I mean, for me, events have always been one of the most exciting and fun things that we do and also the most humbling because it's when you get to meet our members and when you get to meet the people that, we've hopefully had some small part of making their life a little bit better or just to just to do something that they wouldn't necessarily have had if we didn't exist so I, that's always a really proud moment when we can put events on and I'm super proud of things like the My Brain Anne series um, the first time we hosted the professional seminar or the encephalitis conference as it's now known uh, for our research and scientific and medical community at the Royal College of Physicians was a very proud moment I remember going to choose the venue and going this is a bit of a game changer for us and you know feeling super proud that that all came off and now look at it it's you know it's this amazing global conference um or that you know anytime I go to any of the residentials because you get that kind of more in-depth time with our people and you really get to understand what's going on and they're just just the wonderfulness of our people so like retreats and the family weekends and things. I think the very first event I went to was a family weekend um, I think I was six weeks into the job and it was just well if there's any way to learn about this condition go to a family weekend because you just you see the humor you see the devastation you see it all and it's just it's the perfect induction really in terms of understanding encephalitis um uh, I think a personal highlight <laughs> is some of the less exciting stuff behind the scenes that I do. A lot of my job is the behind the scenes stuff. It's not out there in the, the kind of public profile, but kind of getting new databases. That means that we can do more work. And it's really sad. Excel spreadsheets. The team laugh at me here about Excel spreadsheets and how I enjoy a good, a good spreadsheet to pull things. I just like making things more efficient and effective. And if we can do that in the non-exciting ways that people see but we know makes a difference to our work that's really good and then another person I think just for the most fun and kind of like things I get to show off about a little bit um is the going to the Toronto Film Festival in Canada when I got to go out there and it, so it was the uh, premiere of Brain on Fire the film that's on Netflix with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and it was produced by Charlize Theron um and it's the book based on Susanna Cahalan's book, Our Ambassador, about her experience of anti-NMDA. And just going to that film festival, I mean, it was glam anyway, just being at a film festival. And I was only in the audience, but they asked people, you know, to stand up if they'd had 
a connection with encephalitis and obviously I'm muscling my way in there I'm like yes that's our ambassador Susanna so then we're invited onto the stage and I'm like I'm on stage <laughs> with like a list celebrities so and we you know we got to have a chat afterwards and things so that was a really special moment and I just felt really proud that I got to say a few words about our charity up there and kind of yeah it was just really exciting it's nice to be exciting <laughs> so yeah but that's a showy off one that from you know like, oh and like, this is what I get to do with my job so yeah I think the, uh, if I remember, I think the um, decision or the thoughts around you going was a bit last minute, wasn't yeah. it? I think I was sat in bed and, and just thought we should be at this. I can't remember if I called you or texted you, but wasn't it around your birthday or something? You had to give yeah. up your birthday plans. I did. And I was, I was literally in Canada for three days. I think I, I flew out. I was there for two days and I flew back again. It was just like a whistle stop tour. I didn't see any of Canada. <laughs> It was just it was the hotel room and then the film festival and kind of a couple of meetings around it. But yeah, no, super whistle stop tour. But, you know, that's part of the fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look, you know, turning to more recent uh, things, um, you abandoned me recently. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say it, but I feel it has to be said. Um, <laughs> not that I've got abandonment issues in any way. <laughs> Um, no, you became a full-time mum or a first-time mum, I should say, mm. um, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic mm. and various lockdowns. Um, that must have been really difficult. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't great <laughs> in terms of, you know, having a lockdown baby and all of the things that came with that. Um, yeah, it yeah it wasn't ideal and there's several reasons which I could rant about for some for some time and I will briefly go into them at the moment so um so I was pregnant in May 2020 and unfortunately um was one of the very few women in the world uh, that are affected by hyperemesis I can never say the, the gravadium so hd i'm going to call it hd from now so that's severe sickness in pregnancy it's not morning sickness it's not um you know just feeling a bit unwell because you're pregnant it's it's severe sickness um so i was ill pretty much all of the time i was hospitalized at one point because i was so dehydrated and unwell and needed i was on medication to help with the nausea and and everything like that so in some ways the lockdown was beneficial for me because we were all working from home at the society and that meant i could work when I could and thankfully I'm employed by an amazing organization that are so supportive and did everything they could to help me um but working from home in lockdown meant I wasn't missing out as much I was bed bound for for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and um it meant I could still get my laptop out and when I was well enough I could do some work and still feel involved and and kind of have that distraction from the constant nausea um so lockdown in some ways was good. It wasn't great on the front of I had to do most of the things on my own because they wouldn't allow partners. And I could rant for some time about women being forgotten during the pandemic and particularly pregnant women. You know, the vaccinations were late for pregnant women. They weren't included in a lot of the trials. Um, they And then the fact that we were left to be on our own. So I had when I was hospitalised, when I was really poorly, I had to be there on my own. I remember sitting in the GP surgery to get that referral into hospital just lying on the floor of the GP surgery on my own, nobody able to help me, my partner having to sit in the car park outside, even though we're in the same household, he couldn't be there. Um, 
same with the hospital i just have to be there on my own i mean the midwives are amazing the hospital are amazing it's not it's just the policies that went around it my first scan to meet my baby was on my own that could have been bad news that could have been mm. and you want and many women in the same scenario you know completely just felt barbaric really kind of being left to take what could have been devastating news at any of these scans on your own so really hard so i have empathy for anybody that went through pregnancy or anything like that I can't even imagine somebody being sick and a loved one and not being able to be with them just and I know a lot of our membership have talked about that and the difficulties of that and I just have all the empathy in the world because it was so hard and then when you hear that certain people weren't following the rules um it's devastating because you think we're all we all we all did it whether we wanted to or not but we did it so yeah so that's quite hard it feels a bit of a kick in the teeth when you hear sort of stories that people weren't following the rules oh I'll, I'll remain nameless and try not to be too um but it, that was really hard um but then uh being a mom is amazing <laughs> absolutely amazing it was um yeah it's a shock to the system particularly for somebody like me that likes to be in control and might be a bit anxious anxious around things and wanting to kind of make sure everything was okay that was quite hard and also just used to being able to fly to Toronto on a whim on a whim kind of your whole life changes and your responsibility is very different so that's been an adjustment um but she's so worth it my daughter's just amazing so yeah well thank you for for sharing that with us I know how hard it was for you at, at the time obviously I was um not, not living it with you but um but remotely kind of living it with you and I know that you were clinging on by your fingernails sometimes so yeah and I can't imagine working for another organization that wasn't as supportive and I just think I'm so lucky it's another thing I just feel really lucky that I got to, we have, we have a great enhanced maternity leave and family policies. We have great just kind of approaches that people have lives and people have stuff going on and that, that, you know, we couldn't say that to our members that, you know, family come first and all of those things and then not have that ethos ourselves within the organization. So I'm just, you know, I feel even more strongly than I did before. It's just, it makes the world of difference. Mm, yeah. Well, good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think you were very reserved there talking about, you know, the government, you know, and their, their lockdown parties. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think, don't feel the need for them to remain nameless. There's been over 50 fixed penalty fines given out. I think it's disgusting. I think they should all be sacked, quite frankly. Um, oh, yes, um, I didn't know how. <laughs> I'm always conscious of don't want to get the charity into trouble you know well there they were the the chief executive the deputy chief executive sat there having a rant about the but yeah it was it's it's appalling um well and i just and also just the general you know how i feel about you know women's kind of rights and things just kind of completely getting um and again i have an employer that I didn't feel in any way threatened that I wouldn't have a job to come back to or that while I was sick with pregnancy that I would lose my job in that time. But I have so many stories like from close connections and just generally of we were talking about a team brief earlier that, you know, an experience of somebody that, you know, their employer didn't believe they were going to hospital appointments. So insisted they went with them. And it's like, are you are you like what, what but it's happening all the time we laugh but it's like this is happening all of the time and and then for you know pregnant women particularly during the pandemic not to kind of be included in certain trials and the advice was so late and we were at more risk so yeah 
Yeah, really oh, yeah, tough absolutely. times. Yeah. But look, you did mention, you know, the lovely, the lovely highlight in all of this, which is Liberty Grace, your daughter. <laughs> uh, I am an auntie, everybody, which I'm very <laughs> proud of. It's my first auntie status. Um, and so I take great joy now in gazing for the first time ever in my life in children's shops uh, and wondering <laughs> what I could buy. Um, and whether something is too pink and mummy will tell me off or got too many bows and mummy will tell me off. Um, if I'd have had more room in my suitcase, she would have been I would have been coming back with some stuff from Italy for her. Um, but anyway, um, how is motherhood? Uh, how is liberty? Um, and how is motherhood? Is it as you expected? Um, Liberty's amazing. She's grand. She's um, she's walking now. She's just kind of really got she's got balance and she's going for it. So that's it. That's <laughs> it's different. Um, <laughs> it was great when you could just plonk them in one place and know where they would be. But now it's like free for all. Um, and she's learned. Uh, we were laughing the other day. So her first words were no. And I don't know where she could possibly have got that from. But now she she was even telling the nursery workers off yesterday. They were singing a song and she didn't want them to sing that. So she was like, no. No. So um, I, I have my hands full, I think. <laughs> but are we surprised given her mother? So, um, yeah. I think it's karma. I think it's payback time for you, <laughs> Philippa Chapman. I mean, you've, I've, you know, you've sent me, you've WhatsApped me pictures of, of Liberty. Um, and it is exactly the same look that you sometimes give me when when I do so when I go rogue listeners it's the Philippa Chapman look that I get and and I see it in Liberty sometimes when she looks at you so it's payback it's, it's yeah it's absolutely payback I'm, I'm gonna regret all of those those faces because I'm gonna see it mirrored back at me and given that she looks exactly like her father the fact that those looks can come through yeah the the strength of them yes indeed but um, motherhood, I mean, is anybody really prepared for motherhood? It was, you know, it's always a shock to the system, I think. Um, I was really anxious in the first stages. And I think from having a really terrible pregnancy, we're in the midst of a lockdown and a pandemic. This was <laughs> some... one of those podcast moments, everybody. <laughs> some boxes have uh, decided to leap up there with me two seconds. There we go. <laughs> um, just some boxes of, of bits and pieces in my office decided to leap off the sofa um yeah I think I was really anxious at the beginning in terms of I just think the the world was anxious and then being a new mom you just know, you don't know what you're doing as much as you think you might and it doesn't matter what book you read or who you talk to you still feel so responsible for this little person and making sure they're okay and yeah I, I can't say I enjoyed the the newborn phase I was quite I was happier when she got to kind of being more six months and you just felt a bit more established in it. Um, I mean, magical moments throughout that. But yeah, it was hard for, for the beginning, for sure. And also being in lockdown, we didn't see anyone for six weeks, I think, at least. And some in some ways, that's a blessing. But in others, it's not because... And we got COVID at five weeks. So Toby, um, my husband, is a police officer and there's no way of socially distancing arresting people. <laughs> so you know throw the handcuffs at them and tell them to arrest themselves not going to happen so uh he did catch covid at five weeks this is pre-vaccinations i had a five-week hold terrified you just didn't know how it was going to affect a little one and all of those things so yeah just yeah they weren't ideal times let's just say but you know don't have a baby in a pandemic <laughs> might be the advice some people would lobby at me but yeah <laughs> 
Well, you weren't, you certainly weren't on your own. Um, you mentioned vaccinations there. So going from the controversial topic of, of our government's behaviour to, to potentially um, another sometimes controversial topic, that of vaccination. Are you happy to talk about your decisions around vaccinating your child, I ask, because, you know, vaccination, as, as we've alluded to there, has become even more of a hot topic during uh, COVID-19. Um, and, and following recent reports, well, uh, very recent reports, actually, I think it's been in the news again this week um, with the WHO encouraging people to take up the MMR, the measles, mumps mm. and rubella vaccine. Uh, globally, because um, as I understand it, vaccination uh, in that in particular has plummeted as a result of people not going and getting the vaccines during various lockdowns and, and things. So what, you know, um, yeah, what has been your view? I mean, especially given the job that you do, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we know how important vaccination is, but, you know, um, yeah, what, what, what have your thoughts been around it in terms of, of liberty and a, a mum who has to think about vaccinating their child? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a shame that vaccinations are a controversial issue. They shouldn't be, um, you know, the science behind them and, you know, the facts, I guess, aren't controversial. However, I completely understand, you know, as a mum, you you want to do exactly the best for your child and that fear that you'll make a decision um, that isn't the best and that could cause them harm in some way. I mean, your whole reason is that you want you don't no harm should befall this little person that's you know you're responsible for and that you love completely so of course but um i i mean i had no doubt my vaccinations were happening of course they were going to happen they happen at uh i think it's eight weeks 12 weeks and 16 weeks old as a as a as a newborn so they happen then and you know the nurses are brilliant they can ask any questions you can ask anything you want and they will tell you um interesting in the uk because we're obviously very pro uh, vaccination here you would have social services involved if you chose not to vaccinate so they would check in as to your reasons why and things like that so that's quite an interesting thing that i didn't know until i had a child um so so that was the and then and i'm also having uh liberty vaccinated against the chickenpox as well so we've actually got that booked in for tomorrow um you have to wait for them to be a year old and it is private it's not through the nhs um but i feel and uh, funnily enough i've been talking to a few of my mum friends and their children their similar ages have had chickenpox and one of them was really really poorly and it's like well if we can avoid that why wouldn't we other countries vaccinate against it and you know i feel very confident in that you know i'm lucky i have a i've talked to some of our scientific panel you know that feel very strongly about these things so um I'm, I've been able to access expert opinions on things, you know, historically around it. So I feel very confident and I think everyone should be vaccinating their children. It's not to recognise that sometimes it does go wrong, but the rarity of that and the and the, it's more likely something will go wrong from the, you know, measles is evil. Like, why would we be putting our children at risk of that? And I find it really hard to understand, but um, I also I do empathise with that. You want to do what's right for your children. And I think some of the conversations we need to have around vaccination is bringing that emotional element of helping people understand and not just going, well, science says this. It needs to have that emotional element. And I think that's maybe why some of the messages aren't getting through is because we're not coming at it as a mum or as a parent or a carer um, type thing. I think that's something we can improve. I don't mean us as a charity necessarily. I just mean as the wider conversation um, around why vaccinations are important. Yeah, I think you make uh, some very good points uh, there. 
Um, I know chickenpox vaccination is something that we'll be looking into um, as an organisation. I know you and I talked about it as well when you were thinking of getting Liberty uh, vaccinated. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's uh, some really good points. Um, well, look, let's go back to um, uh, to you. Um, selfishly, anybody that knows me is going to know that how pleased I am that you're back at the Encephalitis Society and also in this new role, Deputy Chief Executive. The first Deputy Chief Executive in our history, actually. So you will never, you will always hold that um, that position in our history. Um, and of course, you'll be ready to step into my shoes should I be hit by a bus. Um, and actually, that was something that we had to think of, actually, wasn't it? You know, really seriously, when COVID happened, when I remember our meetings with the trustees, <laughs> you know, um, we all know that I've got a bit of a weedy chest. And, uh, and we, of course, we all have those terrible anxieties at, at the very uh, beginning. We didn't know how, you know, pre-vaccination, we didn't know how COVID was going to affect us. And I dread to think, actually, how poorly I might have been. Um, we know that I suffer um, with a, a post-viral syndrome if I do catch any viruses. So, um, so yeah, so we actually did. But anyway, you're ready now in this position to step into my shoes should, should I be hit by a bus or indeed become the host of this encephalitis podcast. Um, but look, tell some of our listeners, you know, what is this new role? What does it entail? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's it's evolving in time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an honour to be the Deputy Chief Executive and um, I'm thrilled that I get to kind of take this role on and kind of develop what this role will be I guess in terms in time so kind of the vision when we talked about it and when the board kind of said you know we need we need an additional kind of chief executive in some ways it's because you're amazing at everything you do obviously but you're pulled in 20 different directions all of the time and in particular and unlike a lot of other chief executives your focus is on research and you're kind of the key person you're a world expert on encephalitis and you're pulled into a lot of research which I don't think lots of chief executives do so we needed some and because your time is then pulled into that you cannot then focus all of your energies into what would be traditional chief executive or what we need for a traditional chief executive so it made perfect sense that I fill those roles um, and part of the the perk of the sabbatical policy and you being able to take a sabbatical was that we could see kind of maybe how that would work and kind of the things that I could take on and I hate to kind of use it, but we've kind of used it with the staff team here. It's almost like you're the external CEO and I'm the internal CEO. And I think that doesn't really cover it, but it's more you're out there, you're presenting, you're doing the research and, and kind of more of that networking role. And I'm kind of more doing the day to day chief executive stuff, a lot of the policy elements, a lot of the kind of culture of the organization that kind of the, the pulling the strategy together. But we're a team completely and we're kind of you know we're still ping-ponging different things around and and stuff and i think you know and people have referred to us historically as being a bit of a dream team you know when me and you are kind of on fire we're on fire so um that's what i hope we'll just continue to do really as, as this role progresses and the organization grows and everything so yeah Oh, um, yeah, we are a dream team. Um, we, we were, I think, you know, we, we had a lot to deal with, I think, when we first met in terms of some things that were going on in the organisation. And I think it was either going to make us or break us. <laughs> I think it made us really. So 
um uh yeah i think you were thrown into a bit of a pit of fire when you first arrived to be fair um but we got through and i think we were stronger for it i know that you've been reviewing the organization as a whole since you returned that was something that that before you returned from your maternity leave you know you and i sat down and we had chats on your keeping in touch days and things and 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 i think uh, not having you for a year actually um, enabled me to have clarity, I think, around some of the real gaps um, uh, for us as an organisation. So, because um, quite often when people tell you, you know, oh, well, you know, what what is it that we need to do, you know, X, Y and Z, because you're so in the thick of it all the time, mm. sometimes it's really hard to see. And, and I know before you came back, I spent quite a lot of time kind of detailing where I thought our priorities areas were. And, and you have been looking at this. You've been looking at gaps. You've been looking at areas where, where you can, where we can improve. Um, so what, what are some of the top areas that you think we're looking at at the, at the moment that you're looking at and that you think might be areas for change for us? Hmm, the, I mean, there's big and small and one of the big things we're working with the board of trustees at the moment is refreshing our strategy so um that's a really big key piece and that's that is what is the future of the life society what kind of work do we want to be doing into the future so there's a lot of blue sky thinking because um, you know the whole point of a strategy is looking at that future picture it's not what's happening now um so there's some really exciting stuff we want to look at you know kind of the services we're providing our beneficiaries um globally so i think there's a big international piece uh, I think we were talking earlier this week, there's, there's a misconception that we're UK only and we need to change that because we absolutely are not. If you looked at our stats as to who's using in our information, who's using our uh, support services, they're absolutely not UK only. I mean, there's a, obviously there's still UK people using it, but and so and we've just done a big uh, study around the global kind of impact of encephalitis and what we can do around that so I know we'll be focusing a strategy around that as well um yeah so some big big things in terms of what we offer people that have been uh, affected by encephalitis in terms of support and and things like that um awareness we want to do more of it we know a key goal is that we want more people to know what it is we don't want these conversations oh, well what is that you know we want that same global profile that meningitis and motor neuron disease have we have to have it because it you know we have higher incidence rates than some of those things so we absolutely need to change that so some big ideas around the campaigns that we're going to be putting out there um, and then just on day to day go, growing our team improving us as an employer is really important i want a culture um that keeps growing with our size but keeps those core you know i'm scared of talking about the beginning of this podcast about that essence that is us and what what makes us work and some of that is the teamwork and the way that we interact with each other um, and we need to keep that as we grow so it's kind of how do we kind of do that how do we make sure that um, we keep some of those core elements of, of who the encephalitis society is and then forgot our name then goodness me <laughs> yeah I think you're right I mean you're a really um, you know from day one from when I first met you you're a really values-based person and, and I know you've drilled it into me over the years you know it's about getting the right people on board they don't necessarily have to have the right experience because because we can teach people skills and sometimes people have got transferable skills but i think you're right over the last 10 years we've been really hot on making sure that the people in the team have values that align with the organization and, and with the other staff team members as well 
um, and it makes for a much happier workplace. <laughs> yeah, but I think a big key part of that is you can also, we can fall into the trap of then not having it, you you employ or you work with people that you you think you'll get on with. And we all know that diverse teams are the best teams because they're they are, they're more effective, they bring different ideas in. It's just that's what we want. So I very much, you know, a key part of the work we're working on is our diversity and inclusion. We can't have inclusivity as one of our values and then not work on that and have some clear um some clear targets along that. You know, hands held high. We're not we're not the most diverse um, particularly in the staff team, you know, it's different when it goes to kind of more of our volunteer and our scientific panel and things. We're not the most diverse and, and that is something we need to work on and we are looking at. And, you know, I feel really passionate about that. We've just set up an internal team of uh, DNI colleagues that are all going to work on this because we, you know, we feel it's, it's so important and, you know, we need to make changes in that. Yeah. Is there a, a project, you know, um, at all that you're personally passionate about seeing develop over over the next year or so any project in particular personal projects oh projects that i'm excited i mean I'm always, we're, we're just implementing two new databases <laughs> always exciting when we have new databases that will help us do our work more effectively um we're gonna hopefully have a new website soon that's gonna be a bit more all singing or dancing and meet our needs and meet those global needs but i'm just really excited about the work with um that we're going to do on meeting global need um that for me is really exciting because we know there's need out there and there's some major things that shouldn't be happening that are globally that we absolutely can make a difference in and i just love the fact that even on a bad day at work where you know they're rare but the ones where i'm having to do the accounts it's not going you know it's it's pretty dull um you know that some big things are happening and we're genuinely going to help save lives and that that's rather exciting to get up and go to work for and when i'm feeling the pull of mum guilt of going my, you know my kid's crying as i drop her at nursery because she doesn't want to leave mommy you know and that's torture i'm sure any parent will get that it's just horrible but then knowing that at least i'm doing something else that's good and making a difference for other people it makes it slightly easier <laughs> <laughs> makes sure. it a bit easier when you know you're off to change the world well something like that I at least have a small part in trying to change the world for sure at least doing my best rather than you know something that doesn't fill me doesn't help me feel fulfilled if I wasn't fulfilling feeling fulfilled at work then I don't I feel for people that have that situation for, for sure yeah well, look, you know, uh, we're coming to the end of this podcast. Um, so I want you to, you know, metaphorically close your eyes. Um, imagine that we're sat here in another 10 years time. And will I be here? I don't think I will be here. In Better 10 years. be. Please anyway. don't say things like that. Thank well, you. I'm not, I'm not sure I will. But no, I probably won't be, will I? Stop it. No, it's true. No, it's not. <laughs> it is. It is. And it is something that you and the trustees and the scientific panel are going to have to adapt to um but you amended your contract to say until you know <laughs> um oh god i've been here Death so long part, I'd, be, I think. I'd be surprised if i even have a contract you probably have to go don't say you definitely do stop saying things like dig that around hr the, alert personnel <laughs> records um yeah so well imagine that we are sat here in 10 years what where do you think the encephalitis society will be at that point 
Mm, that, again, I, I, I truly hope making that global difference. I hope we've got encephalitis a lot more that public proof, you know, it's everybody knows what it is, or at least they have some association of what the word is and what, what they should do. And particularly in the medical world, you know, that should absolutely, there should be nobody that doesn't, you know, have a really firm grip on it and know what the gold standard of treatment is. I hope we have more research that's told us more about what, what's going on and better you know kind of treatments and all of those things I hope we have better outcomes for people because of that and we have better support in place and we've helped kind of make that happen in terms of neuropsychology and you know supportive stuff in place because we know you know that's there's just so much need along those fronts and and internationally people are getting the treatments that they need the vaccinations that they need um, and us, I just hope we've grown in a sustainable way and we have that same ethos and um, people enjoy working for and with us, you know, kind of our volunteers and ambassadors and all of those things. I just hope it's still a happy place to be um, that's making a difference, really. Well, that's lovely. We've covered an awful lot. And we'll, thank you for taking time out. I know how busy you are at the moment. So thanks for joining me today on this podcast. Uh, talking of sustainability, listeners. Um, our services do remain uh, there for you. So if you need any support or information, our teams are, are there. Um, go to encephalitis.info for contact details or to chat online. Um, we do hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. And as always, if you can help us remain sustainable and support our life-saving work, we'd be extremely grateful. Please go to encephalitis.info forward slash donate. Philippa, to the next 10 years then. <laughs> Yay! <laughs>